Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. And I am Alice Strange, and this is Magic and the Mind podcast, where spirituality and psychology intersect. Today, we're discussing part two of inner child healing. If you haven't listened to part one, we posted it uh, just last time. You can go there and get the foundation that you will need to fully use this episode in your own inner child healing. But in this episode, we'll be discussing different practical applications that you can use to actually start the healing. Doesn't that sound fun? All right, here we go. So now that we've covered what exactly inner child work is and reparenting and trauma and all of those little uh, things that we're going to build off of, now we're going to talk about the actual healing part, the part that you have to actually do. And I'm going to start that this section off with... Um, saying that you first have to feel safe with yourself before you can feel safe fully in your day-to-day life. If you don't feel safe within yourself, that is, it's a scary thing. And you might not even realize that that's what causes your anxiety or, you know, maybe that's your case or maybe it causes depression. Maybe it causes hypervigilance. Maybe it causes just a weird distaste for life. You know, there's lots of ways that can manifest, but you, you ultimately have to realize that you're not trusting yourself. And there are ways to build trust with yourself. And I'm going to have to reference uh, one of my favorite creators. Uh, Actually, probably my number one favorite creator, um, Chloe Taylor. Uh, She does a spirituality podcast called Divine Authenticity. It's available everywhere. Um, But she talks in a few episodes of her podcast about building trust in yourself and how it can feel hard to pull yourself out of a funk if you don't even trust yourself to do the little things that you want yourself to do. You have to trust yourself. Um, And so I'm not getting this nearly as eloquently as Chloe would, but um, she suggests things such as making one little goal for the day or like she talks a lot about routines. Okay. Uh, A morning routine. Maybe your goal is every day I'm going to wake up at a certain time and I'm going to do this one activity that is going to set me up for a good day. Maybe it's exercise, go for an early morning walk. Maybe you're going to wake up and make yourself a cup of coffee and sit on the porch 
if it's nice outside, or maybe just sit by a window. Or maybe your goal will be, I'm going to wake up early in the morning and I'm going to cook myself a real breakfast and listen to music I like. <laughs> Whatever it is, you've, these are all very personalized. No one can tell you exactly what your perfect uh, goal or, or you know, uh, trust-building thing is going to be. Um, but if you go to Chloe's podcast, Divine Authenticity, um, she gives many examples. She's wonderful um, in explaining this, whereas I am just not. Uh, but to really break it down, just make one goal per day, one little goal per day. Maybe it's every single day I am going to only drink two cups of coffee and give yourself a goal that you know you can do. Like, I'm not telling you go out there and change your life. Don't, don't go out there and try and and make a big difference. That's not the point. The point is you have to find something that you know you can do. And then when you make that goal and tell yourself, I have that goal, I'm going to do that goal, and then you actually do it, subconsciously your brain's like, oh, we said we were going to do that thing and we did it. I guess we can trust ourselves. And like, of course, it's not like a one time you reach your goal once and then you're all good to go. That's that's not how that works. Um, you know, you, you've got to practice at it for a little bit. And it's honestly a really good way to start building routines in the morning or, or at night or or routines just in general. Um, it, that practice, building trust in yourself through goal setting is a beautiful thing. I will let Chloe explain that in full detail. Uh, go visit her. She's wonderful. <laughs> She's wonderful. But before you can feel safe in life as an adult out on your own, before you can feel fully safe like that, you need to feel safe in your own self, who you are as a person inside. And basically, in order to do that, you know, you talk about attachment theory, attachments, we're not going to go into all that today. But uh, what's called a secure attachment is really the goal. And you want to grow a secure attachment to yourself. You want to be able to look at yourself and know that you can trust yourself. Know this is someone who's going to back you up. You know, know that this is someone that's going to be there for you as you are today an adult or as you are your five-year-old self. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, you've got to have your own back. And if you don't, then that's a problem and kind of go back to the beginning, work on the self-love thing and, and try again uh, because you'll get there. You will. And when you are able to trust yourself, you can grow that secure attachment to yourself. And there are ways to do that. Um, and I'm going to give you a few examples. 
the absolute first thing you need to do when you are trying to learn to trust yourself, grow that secure attachment, you're going to need to recognize your feelings and then validate them. And that means starting out as just kind of noticing noticing what emotions are going through your body, noticing what kind of thoughts go through your head about yourself. Rather than just let your emotions run crazy, you've got to tap into that and say, okay, what is it we're actually feeling? How did that situation make me feel? And then tell yourself that it's okay. It's really okay to feel that way. There are very few cases I feel like anyone's true reaction to something is not valid. It might not be reasonable or responsible or or even kind or any of those things, but valid all the same with all that you've gone through, with the inner child stuff that hasn't yet been healed. It's valid. It's valid. You can feel that way. You are allowed to feel that way in like 90% cases. (laughs) Another thing that you're going to need to do to grow this trust with yourself, to grow your inner child's trust with yourself, let me be clear. Um, You need to connect to and understand the feelings and viewpoint of your inner child. And there's a little bit there that some of you might not understand. I'm putting this podcast out here kind of with the assumption that if you've if you're spiritual, you know about how to connect to different parts of yourself, how to meditate at least or visualize Um, or use your intuition and be able to decipher what you're feeling and use all of those things to kind of connect to your inner child. And that's a very simple phrase. It's a very simple uh, set of words. Just connect to your inner child. That's super easy. But if you've never done it before, you probably don't know how to. So... As I said, there are ways through meditation, through visualizing and using your intuition and your feelings, your emotions. I guess if I were to give you a step-by-step, the quickest, easiest one would be sit down in a comfortable position or lay down. I like to meditate laying down sometimes, but basically you meditate. And you get into that, um, that flow of, I'm just observing my thoughts. I'm not adding judgment. I'm not adding criticism. I just see what my thoughts are. I hear them and I say, okay. And then I let them go. That's basic meditation. Just sitting and letting your thoughts come and go, um, 
You can also do this with like the classic, clear your mind, don't think of anything at all. Keep it completely clear. But like, I don't even know if any of us mentally ill babies out here can do that. I don't know. It's hard for me. Um, <clears throat> but you get into a meditation and then purposefully direct your attention to a visualization of who you were at the time of being hurt, you know, four years old, eight years old, 12 years old, 16 years old, whatever it was, connect to that part of yourself. And if this is new to you, you're going to want to take it slow, real slow. You're going to want to feel it out. What is that kind of what kind of feelings does this part of me have? What kind of vibe does this part of me have? Um, my intuition feels like my child self is angry or I can really feel that my child self is scared. You know, you, you've got to use whatever gifts you have, whatever works for you. Um, you've got to use that to connect with your inner child. Um, and once you can connect to your inner child, you need to start paying attention to what feelings they are having and understand where those feelings are coming from, or at least understand what the feelings are at first and what viewpoint your inner child has. Because obviously now as an adult, you view things very differently than you did back then. And maybe, maybe you can say, as a child, I felt like I was not seen or understood. Now, as an adult, I understand my mom was just really freaking busy. <laughs> she was running around doing all this crazy stuff. She didn't have time for me. And she loves me and she made as much time for me as she could. So it's really nothing to be angry about. And when you can take the viewpoint of your inner child into consideration, that's step number one. I kind of just like jumped five steps there. But like you need to see where your inner child is coming from. How did they see the situation? What were they feeling in the moment? Why did they feel that way? What were their reasons behind it? Those are all really important things to do towards the beginning of trying to connect to and earn the trust of your inner child. And I know that some of you are going to roll your eyes because everybody talks about boundaries these days. Um, and I'm going to talk about boundaries right now. Uh, you need to set boundaries that are going to keep your inner child safe. And that sounds weird because your inner child is not physically here in the world right now. They are a inner mental state of yourself. <laughs> but maybe you doing certain things really upsets your inner child. A lot of this information I got from a webinar, um, I really, really wish I could remember where that was. I would credit them and give you guys that source. Um, maybe I'll be able to track it down. I'll do a little more looking. But uh, 
you know, going through the research, I even felt kind of weird about that one. Like setting boundaries to keep my inner child safe. But then something happened. And I'm going to tell you just a little short story about how I had to set boundaries to keep my inner child safe. Um, as you know, I'm in college, so I was struggling with a couple classes. And I am very close to my mother. Um, I don't usually talk to my mom about emotional stuff. I kind of leave that for my other psychology freaky friends out there because um, they're way more validating and it just feels really nice. Uh, but I was desperate. I was going through a period of executive dysfunction. <laughs> and if you've ever experienced that, you know that sucks. So I'm having the executive dysfunction. I'm really struggling with my schoolwork. Week upon week is building up. One right after the other, I'm falling way behind. And mm, definitely because of some inner child stuff, I'm a perfectionist. One of the people I feel that I have to be perfect for the most is my mother. I want to impress her. I want her to love me. Those kind of thoughts that that's what my inner child says. I can't fail this class or my mom will see me as a failure. Absolutely not true. Definitely a thought I'm working on deconstructing and, and working through. But back, back then, back through that time period, um, I was, I was doing inner child work had actually just started and I'm having these struggles with college and class and it was rough, but I really had no one to go to, but my mom. And I called her just about every single day, uh, during that period of my life, uh, for years before that too, <laughs> every single day, she got at least one phone call for me. Um, and so I called her and I was talking and I said, mom, I just, I don't know what to do. I feel like I can't handle this. I'm overwhelmed. And then I started saying things that were definitely not normal for me as I am today. Now I was saying, I don't think I'm good enough to pass this class. This class is just too hard. I just want to quit. I'm not going to do college anymore. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm such a fuck up. Oh, how could I get myself into this situation? Oh, I just can't do anything right. And I would work myself up so badly on the phone with my mother that I am sobbing and spiraling, as I call it. And the, the words coming out of my mouth got more and more emotional and more and more self-critical every second, every statement there was, the next one was worse. And my mom kind of just sat silently and, and that would make me explain more, try and justify it more. Mom, you don't understand. I, 
I feel like I can't, I feel like this, I am that, I am terrible, I am bad, I can't do this. And she just kind of said, well, Alice, I don't really know what to tell you. I don't know how to fix that problem. And I didn't want her to fix the problem. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want her to fix the problem. I wanted her to tell me I was good enough. I didn't get it, though. The first phone call, I didn't get it. I just just got worse and worse and worse. And, and then I got to a point where I couldn't even talk and I'm hyperventilating and I would make an excuse and get off the phone. And then that same day, a little bit later, I sat down and tried to do my homework again. I had put it away to keep myself from freaking out. But I tried to get back into the homework and getting stuff done and grind, grind, grind. And again, I got overwhelmed. And again, I called my mom. And the exact same thing happened. Just talking about the difficulties I was having with school made me react emotionally over the top. Just, just lost it. Like an explosion of horrible self-criticism and, and depression, I guess. Um, and again, I just kept going until I was hysterical. And then I hung up the phone and and I think by that point, I was probably really exhausted and I hadn't made the connection yet, but I was tired, was done with trying to do my homework. So I went to bed and the next day I wake up and wouldn't you fucking know it? What does this genius do? <laughs> Alice Strange called her mother for a third time, for a third time. And, you know, I, I wasn't already upset. I was just talking about it. I wasn't in the midst of trying to do my homework. I thought maybe that would make it better. And I did it again. And I, I got really emotional. I got really upset. And it was, I, I got emotional before I even started saying the terrible things about myself. Like I would get emotional and then start saying bad things. And it, it, at that point, it still didn't click. And I have a friend, um, that I call not very often, but she was willing to talk to me that day. And I decided I just needed someone to talk to besides my mother. And as I'm explaining to her, and playing it out piece by piece, I realized that the things I was saying, the, the phrases I was using were the kind of things I would write in my journal when I was like 15 and 16. I'm worthless. No one will ever love me. I'm not good enough. You know, they were like echoes of the past. And all of a sudden, it just fucking hit me. I can't talk to my mom about deep self-criticism or 
just being vulnerable in general with my mom. I can't be super vulnerable with her on my mental health issues or my struggles in that way because one of two things will happen. Either I will work myself up because when I was a teenager and I would try and talk to my mom about my emotions, I would just get yelled at by my father and told to go away and I'd freak out and I'd cry and I'd go to my room and, and be miserable. Or the second thing that could happen is my mom would shut down. She would just kind of become this blank slate. No, oh, you're not horrible. Don't say those things. Like most moms kind of would like do that, but she just sat there, just sits there. She did when I was a teenager. She does now. She just sits there and says, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to fix that problem. And I realized finally, after three horrible phone calls with my mother and having to literally talk it out with someone else, <laughs> it's because I'm a Gemini moon. That's, that's why. But we'll get into that uh, some more later with some astrology episodes. Anyways, me being a Gemini moon, I had to talk it out with somebody and I realized I was replaying trauma from my teenage years. And so to circle back to the point of this long and drawn out exaggerated story um, is you need to set boundaries to keep your inner child safe. And the boundary I set is we don't call mom about emotional problems, period. <laughs> I've built up a good, a nice, good little friend group that can handle my freakouts if I need them. <laughs> but mom is not one of them, that's for sure. Another thing that is going to help you build trust with your inner child and who you are today um, is you're going to have to be consistent and connect with them often. And that's not only when bad stuff is going on, you're going to have to connect with them in positive ways, just checking in during the day. How is my inner child doing? And you can do a quick little visualization or like feel in your heart that you are connected to your inner child at that moment and just send them some love send them some remember i'm here for you i care about you that goes so far it may sound silly to some of the less spiritual people here but trust me it works there are a few other things that you need to keep in mind about the building trust process um if there's ever a situation where you're doing something in as, as an adult that your inner child may feel uncomfortable with, kind of leaving their comfort zone, I mean, obviously, as long as it's a healthy and safe activity, that's fine. But if your inner child is having like an adverse reaction and you can kind of identify that it's your inner child, just nurture them. Tell them it's going to be okay. I am here, I am in control, and we are safe right now. That's a powerful thing to say. 
you can also combine like nurturing them, telling them I'm here for you with acknowledging how they feel in that moment. That's that's definitely something you want to do every time you feel your inner child kind of perking up there in the background. You want to acknowledge how they feel. You need you need to acknowledge how they feel. Um and and you don't have to say I mean you can validate it. You can say I it's okay that you feel that way. I know you're really scared right now and that makes you want to burst out in anger. Maybe that's the situation you're in. But right now, even though we're scared or you're scared, you don't need to be and I will take care of you. And if that doesn't work, you need to show them how to better cope with the feelings. In the end, you can't always explain away the reactions your inner child is having. Logic doesn't always work. <laughs> you know, uh, many a people <laughs> can logically know that what they're doing is irrational or inappropriate, but emotionally, they just can't take it. And so that's, you know, an example of how you can't always just explain things away with logic, especially to a child. So acknowledge how they feel. Say, I know you feel X, Y, Z. And when you feel this way, you start doing this behavior instead to cope with how you're feeling. Why don't we do this and give them some kind of healthy, healthy coping skill, something they can do. Maybe it's a fidget cube. Maybe it's one of those little button popper presser flip thingies that kids have these days are super fun. I love them. Um, or a stress ball or, or writing out how we're feeling or taking deep breaths. <sighs> Breathe deep. <sighs> it's going to be okay. We're here together. I've got your back. Reassure them. Acknowledge how they feel. Show them a better coping skill and reassure them. Another thing you're going to want to do um, while working with your inner child and building that trust with them. You know, there's a lot of difficult parts to it. You know, leaving the comfort zone, trying to find better coping. You know, there's there's hard parts, but... In the meantime, you really need to let your inner child be their authentic self. Don't make them shine any less bright. Nurture them. Show them love. Let them think silly things when you're staring off into nothingness. <laughs> you know, let them say things to you. Let them remind you of good things that have happened. Let them be their authentic selves. And if if your inner child isn't a goofy, bubbly child, that's okay too. Let them feel that way. That's valid. Let them be who they are. And you also really need to let them play. A child is meant to play. Even a teenager 
is meant to chill out. And in my personal life, I have found that my inner child loves playing with my dogs. If she's just a raring to go and and I haven't really spoiled her lately, <laughs> I will kind of connect to her in my mind and say, okay, now it's your turn. You get to, to do the things. And of course, I'm doing the motions. I'm not letting a whole different part of myself control my body. That's not how that works. But, you know, just with the intent of helping your inner child feel happiness, feel enjoyment. Play with the dogs. Throw the ball. Play tug. Those are great things. My my little self loved animals. So that was a really good one for me. Maybe you're dealing with an inner teenager. For me, I was a very artistic teenager. And I didn't back in the day, mostly because it was not normal yet, but I didn't do adult coloring books. Um, I'm kind of old. So like when I was in high school, there were not adult coloring books. <laughs> but if there were, I probably would have had a few. Because um, damn, have you ever seen, like, have you seen some of those? Like the really good, anyway, we're not going to get into that. Um, my inner teenager loves to just sit down and color with me. I've got like a 52 pack of colored pencils um, that I bought on Amazon real cheap. And I just color, just color for fun. Color pictures that I find interesting. I actually found a adult coloring book that was um, like mythical creatures, fairies and mermaids and dragons, mostly dragons, lots of those uh, some centaurs and, and stuff like that. Um, and everything's very unique and, and kind of over-exaggerated eyes and slightly manga-ish. And maybe some of you find that a bit cringy, but my inner teenager loved manga and also loved mythical creatures. I know she sounds like a total badass, right? <laughs> But uh, I found this coloring book and I've dedicated it to her. That's her coloring book. And as often as I can, I will put in my little earbuds and I'll turn on her favorite band, which I guess I'll go ahead and say was My Chemical Romance. Super sad vibes for coloring, but you know, that's okay. There was some fun music in there too, <laughs> but we put on our favorite music. And we color, we color and she has a good time. It feels good to her. And I can tell because I feel it too. And it's very healing for them. So now we're going to get into more of the working on kind of healing all of these issues with your inner child self. Um, one thing to keep in mind, and it does take a bit of practice, um, if you're not used to monitoring your thoughts, um, which I probably will talk a lot about because I think that's a very important thing to do for everybody. And, and it's great when you're having issues in your own mind. But anyways, 
when you're feeling distressed, when you're feeling angry or unsafe or hurt or sad or betrayed or abandoned or whatever it is, when you're feeling that feeling, you're triggered, you need to kind of go inward a little bit and identify, is this adult Alice problem or is this child Alice problem? You need to figure out if it's the adult version or the child version of yourself um, that's, that's causing this issue. Because really it could be anything. Um, often it is our child selves. But um, a couple ways I've learned to kind of decipher it if whatever is going on kind of leads me into old thought patterns, like those things I used to repeat to myself in my head uh, on loop, um, those particular phrases or types of words or level of drama, um, or maybe it's apathy for you. Um, you know, those things, if that's something you did a lot as a child and it just randomly starts acting up again, that's a pretty good sign that it's, it's partly at least to do with your child self. Um, also if what you're going through kind of brings back a feeling that feels like your childhood or something that reminds you of your childhood, if you're having the same kind of vibes. Like, I don't know, sometimes I just feel like, ooh, whatever just happened, like really made me feel super young right there. Like, I don't know if anybody else gets that. <laughs> that is kind of a weird thing. But usually I can kind of relate a feeling or like a a heaviness in my chest or a buzzing in my head to something that happened in childhood. Um, and if that's the case, it's probably your inner child. Um, and also it's really important through all of this to identify your triggers. And honestly, it's probably best to write them down so you can either actively avoid them or actively work to not be triggered by those triggers or react in a different way. We could go on forever about reactions to triggers. Um, but you've got to recognize what the trigger is. And then beyond that, when you are triggered and it is your inner child, explore that a little bit. Ask yourself, your, your inner self, your inner child, why you're triggered. What was it that, that did it? You know, if you can't see it plainly, um, you know, just right away, go to that part of yourself and ask them, what has had, what, what's got you upset? What happened? And it's very important that you hear what they have to say. And communications like this in your own mind uh, with other parts of yourself can be tricky. It does take a bit of intuition, at least when I do it. Um, but in whatever way makes sense for you, listen to what that child part of you has to say. You need 
to not only hear what they have to say to continue earning their trust and show them that you care, but also to learn what that trigger is and why it's happening and how you can work on breaking that down or working with it or making it just healing in general. Um, And like I said, it's a really good idea to write those things down. Okay, so trusting yourself, building trust with yourself, having your inner child trust you, all of those things we've got down. Now let's get a little deeper. When you have tapped into your inner child, you are interacting with them, you are understanding their feelings or, you know, talking to them, asking them about their feelings, you know, doing all those little things. Um, I mean, they're not little, but um, also just monitoring your thoughts, you know, all that good stuff. Then it's kind of time for self-reflection. You need to ask yourself, what is it that I didn't get as a child that I needed? What is it? What was lacking from your life? It could range from anything to safety. You know, maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were physically abused. Um, Or it could be emotional availability. Maybe your parents didn't listen to you, didn't give you space to talk about your emotions. The needs we didn't get met as a child usually are why we have manifestations of maladaptive behaviors in our adult life. Kind of covered that a million times already. But when you get down to the specific question of what did I not get that I needed as a child, it's kind of not looking at the maladaptive behavior, but kind of peeking behind it and seeing, okay, why do I have this behavior? What caused this behavior? And there's a vast amount of things, uh, almost infinite amount of things that can come of unmet needs. And there's a vast amount of things that are unmet needs for people in this world. I can only give you my own examples. I like to share stories from my life because, I don't know, I, I guess that's really the only proof I have about any of this rather than just research and and doing it myself, you know? In my life, I'll talk about a few things that I didn't get as a child. One of them was just time to be carefree. I didn't have time to not be an adult. My parents had five children. And my dad was constantly working. And for a while, my mom worked uh, as, you know, at the same time. 
and they kind of took shifts, but my dad's mental health really declined and my mom had to become full-time mom. I don't really know the whole timeline in there, but I can tell you the whole time, whether mom was there, dad was there, or both of them were there, I was always on mom duty. Mom was so overwhelmed and stressed out with everything and understandably so. If you knew the whole situation, you would uh, definitely not blame her. But me and my two younger brothers uh, did not get very much attention. Um, we got attention in our own ways, but, you know, not enough. Definitely not enough. I was always mom and literally got in trouble for trying to break up fights, mediate things, and heal, you know, or fix a, a little spat between my two younger brothers because mom would say, well, that's my job. You let me to do, do that. Because my mom would say, that's my job. You let me do that. And I'm not going to lie. One time I looked her straight in the face and I said, well, if you're not going to do it, someone has to. And then things happened. Uh, I was definitely punished for that, but man, it felt good. So, uh, yeah, I was always mom. I did not have time to fully immerse myself in play or creativity or imagination. I just didn't get that opportunity. Another thing that I didn't get a lot of, especially in my teenage years, you know, we discussed before that my childhood was pretty, pretty, well, I dealt with it okay. Um, but towards the end, as I got a little older, but still a child, my dad's mental health really began to slip and he kind of became just uh, another body in the room that didn't really have much meaning to it. Then, as I got older and started rebelling and becoming, I don't even want to call it rebelling, I was just being myself. You know, I dress the way I want to, had a problem with that, listen to the music I like, had a problem with that. You know how parents and kids go. Teenagers are awful, but, you know, my dad would just yell and scream say hurtful things, the most horrible things to me. And I think if I had to sum up all of that, I would say uh, the need I did not have met was the need for unconditional love. And that's a hard one to swallow. <laughs> Some of you out there may be realizing you yourself, you know, your parents loved you, but was it unconditional? Like, sure, my dad would say love you as I left the house, but do you? Is it unconditional? Or do you only love me when I'm doing what you want? And then, you know, there's a lot of feelings that come with that. There's a lot of processing that those kind of things bring up. You know, you've got to think through that and decide how you feel and, and heal from that. You know, that that's a big one. Um, another need that I did not get met, um, 
we haven't really talked about this yet in the podcast. I can't believe it's this far in and we haven't mentioned it, but my mother um, was kind of like a helicopter parent, uh, kind of. It was, she was like, she would wait in the shadows. (laughs) She'd watch us. And then as soon as we were about to mess up or fall or get hurt or etc., she'd swoop in and snatch us up and, oh, who got you there? Well, don't worry, mom's always here. And and then she'd go back to just watching us. And that little metaphor there kind of means my mother never let us experience failure. Um, and that's 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 valid. I mean, I can see as a mother how that would be something you would want to do. Um, And of course, at the time, she thought she was doing the absolute best for all of us. Um, My one of my younger brothers has very severe ADHD um, and she realized in in about first grade that if she did not insert herself into every single aspect of his schoolwork he would not pass and the teachers would not they would overlook him they would say nope he's hopeless um it was it was really a difficult situation but i think that made her a little paranoid um about all of us and I know I'm getting into the psychoanalyzing of all of this, and it it's not exactly relevant. But, you know, sometimes the needs we had unmet are are really difficult things to pinpoint. And it took me a long time to realize I never had the freedom to fail. I never had the chance to fall on my ass and say, oh that hurt. I fucked up. Well, guess I got to get up now. Guess I got to keep going. And that led to a lot of problems as an adult. I, (laughs) when I fail, this paired with the perfectionist in me, you know, when I failed, there is no getting up because I fell. I got hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. No one caught me this time. What do I do? And I've had to relearn all of the steps that people learn when they're like three years old of, oh, I did something wrong. I fucked up. It didn't work out. Now I've got to pick up the pieces and and fix it. Get myself back on the right path and go and move on. And I never had the freedom to learn that as a child. It's a sad thing, but, you know, just, I added that one just to remind you guys that this part, this question might not be as simple to find an answer to as you may think. Sometimes you really got to dig. Sometimes you really got to move through those old feelings and and sometimes you've got to look at how it's affecting you today and and kind of reverse engineer it back to what was the cause. So, um, you know, talking about reparenting yourself, all of those things, whatever your unmet needs were, 
your goal is to give that to yourself now. So, you know, whatever your list is, whatever those things are, now you've got to learn how to give that to yourself. Another step in this journey is looking at what things in your past have hurt you, have angered you, and have scared you, specifically in your childhood. What were the things that your younger self was hurt by, angered by, or scared by? Or maybe a combination of all three of those things. What were the things that just in general were really hard for you? And then the question to ask yourself once you have the answers to what hurt you, scared you, and angered you, the question to ask is, how do I help my inner child grieve this? Because it is a grieving process. You know, there's some happiness and in life and bits and pieces that your younger self, you know, didn't have. There are troubles that your younger self did have. And sometimes your inner child is going to need to grieve certain things. And moving through grief is a whole process. And I'm not going to get into the grief process right now. Um, but just know there may be things to grieve. And, and that's not like a grieve it all at once, then we're done. No, it is a, ooh, yeah, this thing, it hurts. Now I need to grieve that. And then a week later, you do it again after more work and more digging and more finding. The whole inner child healing process is very unlinear. You will not do them one thing, one step at a time and then just complete it. You are going to go back and redo and rethink and rework. And the next thing we're going to look at is um, kind of identifying the issues you have now. And, um, and, you know, we talked about identifying if it is from our current self or our child self, those issues that were those bad behaviors or maladaptive coping skills, those issues, um, when you have identified that they did come from a childhood experience, you need to kind of look at it through your child self's eyes and, and see how did that behavior how did that thing you did keep you safe how did that keep you safe a very common one is dissociation if you just dissociate a lot and you know you've done it since you were a kid that's a coping mechanism and it keeps you safe because it keeps your brain from experiencing trauma just text you right out you you aren't even <laughs> aren't even present anymore and you know that can be very hard to work through and uh overcome in adult life but yeah how did your behavior keep you safe um another example we've talked about people pleasing in this couple of episodes 
And people pleasing definitely kept me safe. That kept me safe for sure. I did whatever it took to make everybody else happy. And when everyone else was happy, my dad wasn't yelling. I didn't experience trauma. When everyone else was happy, I didn't feel disappointed. And that kept me from feeling disappointed and kept me safe. And you also kind of, while you're looking at how it kept you safe or did it keep you safe, um, you kind of have to look at the piece that made you do that. Like, yes, people-pleasing, it's not so great. You have to unlearn it eventually. But what led me to have to people-please? And those questions kind of go hand in hand. How did it keep you safe and what was it that made you do that? Um, usually those are probably the same answer. The next thing you have to ask is, is this thing still keeping you safe? Is it still serving a purpose? Do you still really need it? And about the time this question comes up is about the time you realize, oh, you're right, I do need to change these things. Like, yeah, they are not good for me and it serves no purpose. Or even if it does serve purposes in your adult life, maybe there are things that would fill that spot without being so detrimental. Maybe there are things you could do that wouldn't mess up everything else. And, you know, in this chunk, just examining the issues you have, um, where they came from, how they kept you safe. Is it still keeping you safe? You also want to look at what triggers it. What is it that makes me behave this way in my current adult life? And making that connection from trauma to trigger is very important. Um, you know, if, if a certain smell will just get you in a bad mood, you know, oh, well, yeah, that smell gets me in a bad mood because it smells like this person that always bullied me. That's an example. Um, you know, another one could be, I'm triggered when people ignore me. I, I get triggered when people ignore me and then I realize, oh, well, when people ignore me, I feel like they're mad at me. And then I start getting very upset, very sad, very desperate, very clingy. Um, so, you know, my bestie didn't text me back and it's been 30 minutes. Yikes. Uh, there's my trigger. And the trauma related to it is I'm a people pleaser. And obviously I haven't done my job because my friend is ignoring me. When I mess up, people ignore me. They're, they kind of get a little convoluted sometimes, a little tangled. Um, but fleshing all that out, really just sitting down and 
and laying out every piece of it and examining it can be so helpful. Whether there's healing, like like actual healing around that, it, it really lays down the groundwork for future healing when you understand what your triggers are and what the trauma related to that trigger is and how that trauma response kept you safe and realizing that it's no longer keeping you safe and serves no purpose. It's a pretty important part. Um, That's why I included it. Um, It is very abstract, but I I hope that makes a lot of sense to you guys. If you want to go one step further with that piece we just talked about, you can ask yourself the question, did I learn these behaviors from my caregivers? That can be a good clue as to where the, or why you are triggered by something or where the trigger came from. Um, just to like talk about myself again for a little bit, did I learn maladaptive coping skills from my caregivers? Absolutely. I sure fucking did. Uh, <laughs> I am an oversharer. I'm out here on the internet telling you all, all my business. And that's how I am to every single person I meet. I can have known you for 30 seconds at the grocery store, but then I'm going to tell you about my childhood trauma. I could have met you just today at work, but I'm going to explain to you the latest thing that I just broke down and worked through in therapy. I mean, that's highly inappropriate. It really is. And uh, I have mixed feelings about my oversharing. I think there's an appropriate amount of sharing and a not appropriate amount of sharing. And I feel like maybe I can share a little bit more than most people. Um, just because I'm a very authentic person, I don't, I'm not ashamed of who I am or, or the things I deal with or any of that shit. But I don't know. There may be a part of me who still believes that oversharing is okay when it's really not. I don't know. Not there yet. Um, Moving on. Learning things from my caregivers. I learned financial instability. And that has a lot of kind of roots that go out of it. You know, the financial instability is the tree and the branches, the roots, they just go all over the place. You know, I spend money irresponsibly sometimes. I... Don't ever set aside anything for savings. I live paycheck to paycheck, every single paycheck. Sometimes I live paycheck to half a week before next paycheck. You know, those things. And I understand that's very common in America right now. And and with my age group and us millennials, we struggling, man. <laughs> we struggling. Another thing I learned from my caregivers is to rely on the people around me when I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I really can't finish anything uh, super challenging or even slightly challenging without the help of others. That goes back to 
never having the freedom to fail. Um, I can, I can directly see how my mother hanging in the background, you know, ready to snatch me up. She was, you know, doing her thing, but I also knew that she was back there. I knew that if I messed up, she would catch me. And so to continue that in my adult life, to keep those things balanced and not rock the boat, I've, I have developed a habit of reaching out to people when I am even slightly overwhelmed. Homework, can't find my shoes, even just I'm stressed from a long day at work. I can't come home from a stressful day at work and just be alone. <laughs> never gonna happen. Well, okay, I won't say it will never happen. Maybe one day I'll get there. But yeah, I, I absolutely rely on the people around me when anything is amiss. And sure, like, that's a, that's a decent way of coping, but, you know, you can't overuse that. It, I believe that I am at the level of overusing that. So, again, things I'm working on, things I'm trying to deconstruct, yay! Okay, here we are. Let's talk about actual things, activities, ways to work through this, process it, exercises or, or examples of things you can do to start the healing journey. And of course, this is really just, I, I tried to find some diverse type exercises, um, something that a lot of a broad audience could relate to. Um, but if none of these relate to you, if none of them feel appropriate, Google that shit, please. <laughs> How to heal your inner child. <laughs> it's, it's all out there. There's lots of stuff out there. You'll figure something out. And, you know, it's, you got to do it. It's, it's for your own good. So number one, the first one, is simply sitting with your child self in visualizations or, or like a meditation um, if you're not a visual person. I, this is the one I use the most. I try about once a week um, to sit down and meditate and picture my younger self. Like, I'll walk you through it step by step. Here we go. Picture your younger self sitting on a bench in a park. You don't need a huge amount of details. Just generally, in your head, see your child self sitting on a park bench. And then in your mind, start walking towards them and look at them 
come up and sit next to them. Sit down and and feel what they're feeling for a minute. Tap into the aura, the vibes, the emotions they're exuding. You, If you don't get anything just by that, you can ask them, what's wrong? Maybe they're crying. Maybe they're pissed the fuck off. You know, just ask them, what's going on? How do you feel right now? And sometimes that's helpful if you're trying to work through a specific issue. If you've been triggered and, you know, you were upset and you don't really know how to break down the what's the trigger, what's the trauma, where did this come from, all those questions. You can do this visualization and communicate with your inner child um, in this way. You can ask them questions. You can be there with them. But honestly, most of the time when I connect to my inner teenager, she's just really fucking sad, man. And she doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to talk. She doesn't trust adults. Um, and I am an adult and I present myself as her reparent her, but sitting next to her, maybe holding her hand or, um, you know, pulling them kind of over on your shoulder, holding them, letting them cry. My inner teenager loses it. She will sob if I hold her. I stroke her hair. I tell her things that she needed to hear. You know, obviously I know what those things are now. I've done a lot of the work and and I lived it, you know, so I tell her. Not everyone hates you. You're going to succeed one day. It won't always be this hard. And, you know, it may sound silly. It may sound... uh over the top to to do this um, to some people, but honestly, it's it's it makes a big difference. I can't really explain it. It makes a big difference because there is a little part of you that's a part of that. You're still a little teenager. There's a little little bitty part of you who's still a kid, and if you can make them less sad. If you can make them less angry, that's going to benefit you greatly in your current adult life. Okay. Um, another exercise, uh, just generally like a mirror exercise. Um, and just as a quick, uh, I don't know, warning or, or recommendation. If you have body image issues, if you have, you know, bad narratives going through your head when you look through at the, yourself in the mirror, or you feel gross when you look at yourself in the mirror, skip this one. Not for you. I promise it's not for you. But if not, if those things don't apply to you, you can find a mirror you can sit or stand in front of said mirror 
And what you're going to want to do is just look in your eyes, you know, get like right up in there, look in those eyes and kind of let the idea of these are the same eyes that are the eyes of my inner child. I've had these eyes since then. You really only get one pair. My inner child is this person. I am that person. It's it's kind of making a deep connection with yourself just by really looking at who you are now and picturing who you were then. Um, but, you know, that acknowledgement, um, it's really just used to connect to that part of yourself. Um, if you have other ways that you've figured out by this point that you like better um, to connect to that part of yourself, you know, uh, talking to them even just out loud or, um, you know, calling them to you in your head or your heart, whatever it is, you connect to them. And then while looking at yourself in the mirror, while picturing that child self, you know, you're looking in, you picture that child self looking out and you tell them all the things they needed to hear. And I know I keep saying that the things they needed to hear, but really think about it and don't, don't overdo it. I mean, if you have self-esteem issues or, or even just are more of a rational type person, you don't have to look at your inner child and say, you are beautiful. You are strong. You are powerful. You know, those over the top self, uh, like positive self affirmations. Um, that's, that's not the goal here at all. You want to talk to your reflection, like the best parent in the fucking world, whatever parent you think you wanted or, or that like, if you could choose now to go back and redo it and you could pick any parent, any type of parent, you could build your own imaginary parent and make them real. Do that, <laughs> you know, make yourself that perfect parent and talk to them that way. You know, you don't want to talk to them really as a peer. You, you kind of want to acknowledge like I'm the parent here and I want to tell you that the things you do make a difference. I want to tell you that one day you won't feel like this anymore. I'm going to tell them you are a wonderful artist and you will improve with time. You know, just you're great at the things you love. You're a fast runner. <laughs> I watched you play that football game and you fucking killed it. I guess you might be against cussing at children, but it's kind of just you. So anyways, look at yourself in the eyes. See your child self looking back fully deeply connect and then just tell them the things that they needed to hear tell them that you're their parent now and things are going to be okay this is a little bit harder to do than um, visualizing but it's something that's very accessible to to 
pretty much everybody. So I included it. One thing you could do to uh, work with your inner child that might be a little easier than the mirror exercise is writing a letter to your inner child. You can write whatever feels right. You can write to them from the perspective of you now being their parent, their good parent, and how they can trust you and how you know in the past adults have been mean and adults have hurt you, but now I'm here and you're safe and it's going to be okay. You can go that route. You can, you know, if you're not feeling quite up to that or you're really just starting out on this journey maybe just sitting down and writing about childhood memories would be a good avenue to take you could write about the good ones and then you could write about the not so good ones and and then maybe you can write about the really 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 hard ones and you know kind of getting it on paper that can can help a lot especially if you're writing it from the child's perspective your your child self's perspective when you were going through that you know don't just write the events write what you were feeling what they said to you and how that made you feel what you did in reaction what happened three weeks later in result of this incident you know, all the things, and especially the feelings, especially what really hurt you or really damaged you or really angered you, it's going to help a lot with identifying what needs you need met and and just everything. The childhood memories route, that's a good one to start with if you're at the beginning of your journey. It's also a good one to kind of throw in the middle uh, sometimes. You know, maybe if you've been doing this inner child work for a while, maybe sitting down and writing out your childhood memories from the perspective of your inner child, um, maybe that would be beneficial. Maybe you would, you know, things might come up for you if you really let yourself feel that, if you really get deep into it and kind of channel your inner child um, rather than just like talking for them, talk from them. Uh, they can really show you some things that you might not have noticed before. And it also is just really fucking healing to, to write shit out <laughs> for some reason. Human brains, mm, writing, that feels good. I don't know. Not everybody, but I am one of them. Another route you can take with the letter writing to your inner child is kind of just make it like a, like if, if you're the parent of a child and you want to write them a nice little letter telling them how much you love them or telling them how much you support them or how much they mean to you, um, telling them all the good things, laying on the love and the empathy and the, the validation, you know, and you can write it just like 
dear so-and-so, write out all the good shit from so-and-so, <laughs> from me, from mom, from your name, whatever it is, whatever works for you. Another route you can go with writing a letter is you can kind of make it less of a letter and more of like a journal prompt session, kind of. Um, you can come up with some questions pre, you know, writing um, questions like, how do you feel? Or how do you feel when this is happening? How can I support you? What is it you need from me? What things can I do that you would like? How can I help you? You know, there's just anything in that realm. Um, you know, more specific questions, sure, that, that you can try that. But the general ones, and you know, write the question out and leave yourself a good amount of space. The way I approach it is to kind of meditate into this and focus and channel my inner child and then look at the paper. How do you feel? And just start writing as that inner child. I've done a lot of this. I've also done a lot of spiritually stuff before and it's kind of in the same realm. So if you're not that kind of person, if you don't have that experience, if you sit and you think about being your child self, think about the way your child self feels, you know, really letting those feelings come to the surface, feel them in your chest, feel that the the welling of of anger, or sadness or or fear or or love or hatred, you know, whatever you're feeling, let that come to the very surface and write it out. Let it all out. How do you feel? How do you feel? Maybe it'll take you a, a little bit. That's why I say leave yourself some room. You might need to write a few sentences about, I feel like this when this happens. And, and you keep writing and you keep trying to bring those emotions up. And then eventually you just are pouring out all the words faster than you can write them down and your hands cramping up. It, if, if you can really get into it, uh, it can be pretty impressive. It can be helpful. So this podcast is a good first step in the direction of healing your inner child. But it is that, a good first step. And we've mentioned, you know, just a bit in the two episodes here, part one and part two. We've mentioned that sometimes this is easier for some people and they can do it on their own. Um, they can do it at home and no one will ever know that they're doing it. Or they can tell everyone, <laughs> depending on how they feel about it. But a lot of people start and realize how much is there, how much there is to be healed, and they kind of get a little overwhelmed. If, you know, if that's the kind of childhood you had, 
And I just want to say inner child healing therapy is always an option. I mean, you could probably go to a good amount of therapists and ask them, are you versed in inner child therapy? Um, sometimes this kind of falls into the therapy of called uh, parts work. Um, some people like to differentiate the two. I kind of like to keep them lumped together. So any therapist, I mean, these are normal things therapists know. You know, it, it's pretty common. Um, and, you know, even if you have a therapist and you ask them and they say no, telling them that that's what you want to work on right now is is dealing with childhood trauma, dealing with that pain. There are so many different ways to do it. I'm sure pretty much any decent therapist is going to be able to find a way to help you with that goal. And if not, then then you can go find somebody else. You can always go find somebody else. But I just can't stress enough that therapy is good for everyone. Sometimes therapy is for people who are majorly you know, traumatized. And sometimes therapy is for people who just have stressful jobs or people who don't know how to talk about their feelings. Maybe you're the kind of person who just doesn't really have a lot of friends. Therapy is a good place to go to learn how to get friends. <laughs> I mean, therapy can help with so many things. And I know it's a privilege. I know not everybody can find therapy, access therapy. Not everybody can leave the house. Not everybody can or has a laptop that they can do online therapy. You know, there are a lot of barriers. But if you need help, if you need somebody and therapy really just isn't an option for you, reach out to someone who cares about you. Just please reach out to someone who cares about you because these things are hard and these things are heavy. And you being here at the end of the episode, you know, shows that this is something you're taking seriously. And that's the, the attitude that's going to get you there. It's the attitude that's going to get you there. Taking these things seriously, trying your hardest, Googling inner child therapy, how to heal the inner child, like you do what you can, right? <laughs> but um, besides that, we've kind of mentioned it a couple times here and there, but just remember that Healing is not linear. Um, healing is very up and down and back and forth and all around and spirals and roller coasters and, and back to the beginning and then all the way to the end. And it's everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, I say all the way to the end, but there is no end. You will be healing every single day for the rest of your life. You will. Things will come back up. Things will get better. Maybe new things will come up. Maybe 
maybe new things, you know, related to your adult life, just healing in general. It's, it's not a linear journey. So if you've taken this podcast, these couple episodes, and you've really taken them seriously, please be easy on yourself when it doesn't go step by step. Forgive yourself for backsliding. Forgive yourself for taking two steps forward, one step back, because that's how it goes. Okay, all my wonderful people, it is the end. Thank you for being here. Thank you if you made it this far in the podcast. It's been a ride. And I really want to express my appreciation for my new little baby podcast. You know, people being here and listening, even in the beginning, that's that's really a, a great thing to see very encouraging. Um, I want you all to have a great day. I want you all to have a great tomorrow and always stay curious, my friends. Always stay curious. I will see you in the next one. Bye.